Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 54. <clears throat> Last week we looked at just the first half of this verse, verse 1. And for the second half to make any sense, I do need to give a little bit of review. Let me read uh, verse 1. Sing, O barren, you who have not borne. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Why would a barren woman sing and celebrate that she's going to be having children when she's not even conceived yet? She's still barren. And the answer is because faith looks to God's promise, not to our own inability. So last week we saw that the Apostle Paul quoted this verse in Galatians chapter 4 and used it to teach that believers must constantly operate in the power of the Holy Spirit and not in their own abilities. Now you wouldn't think that Abraham's mess up with Hagar and Ishmael would have anything to do with us, but it really does. Paul says that even though Abraham was a believer, he messed up when he followed Sarah's advice and when he sought to fulfill God's promise. That is, that's what he was doing. He wasn't just having fun. He said, yeah, we've got to fulfill God's promise. But he did it uh, in his own strength and in his own means. And you might wonder why on earth would Sarah and Abraham have even thought to do that anyway? Well, it's because Sarah was barren. She couldn't conceive. God's promise was an impossible promise. And so they decided that they had to settle for something less something that was achievable. I think that's the reason why they, they did that. And I think this has always been our temptation to settle for something less than what God's word has declared, something achievable. And what happens when we do that? Well, what happens is we no longer have to live by faith. We can do it in our own flesh. And whatever is not of faith, Scripture says, is not pleasing to God, and the flesh can only produce that which is flesh. And so when Abraham did what he could achieve in his own strength, he produced Ishmael, a disaster that has plagued us in the Middle East even up to the present time. And Paul points out we do exactly the same thing when we try to obey God's commands or live out his promises without his supernatural power. Paul said, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? He's saying, that's crazy, that's irrational, and yet we as Christians do that all the time. Uh, Paul says, when we live our Christianity by trying harder, by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, we're really living like the Pharisees lived. They were trying to live by God's law without the power of the Spirit. We're doing like Abraham, the true believer, did uh, with Hagar. It requires the Holy Spirit every day in our lives to produce an Isaac. Now, what do I mean by producing an Isaac? Well, I mean living out the Word of God by His power. For example, no Pharisee can possibly live out the Sermon on the Mount. They simply could not do it. Who can rejoice with exceeding great joy when you are being persecuted? You try to do that in your own strength. You're going to discover you cannot do it. And so what evangelical Pharisees do is they say, well, Paul must be speaking hyperbole there. I mean, who can really love their enemies? Who can truly bless those who have cursed them? 
Who can return good for evil? Who can go the second mile with a jerk that's required you without any gratefulness to go one mile already? Surely these commandments must be hyperbole, and yet they are not. The whole Sermon on the Mount cuts the legs out from under a pretense Christianity and forces us to live in the realm of the miraculous that demonstrates our sonship, demonstrates our filling with the Holy Spirit. And Paul does the same thing. According to Galatians, it takes faith to be sanctified, just like it took faith to be justified. We must live by faith. What sanctification is, is receiving every grace, every fruit of the Spirit from heaven. Okay, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, and it's faith that receives those things. So that's the first lesson that we learned from this verse, that Paul applies it to living in the Spirit. The second lesson is that when we recognize that we are barren, it needs to drive us to live by faith rather than giving up. Third lesson that we looked at is that we need to learn to laugh at impossibilities just like Abraham laughed uh, the laugh of faith. Now this is not the laugh of faith here, this is singing of faith or celebrating by faith. It says, sing, O barren, you who have not born. And then fourth, we saw when that singing happened, it happened before there was any conception. Okay? Faith rejoices in God's fulfillment long before God answers the prayer. Uh, what is faith defined as in Hebrews 11? As faith is the, the um, title deed of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We don't see it. So it acts upon God's promise before God fulfills the promise. It is a laugh of Abraham before Sarah conceived. Fifth, though Abraham was active with both Hagar and Sarah, their activity was not striving or laboring when he and she produced Isaac. It was the spirit working through them. So this says, break forth into singing, cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. So when you come to the Lord's table, you are making a profession that you're going to live by Christ, work by Christ's provision. You're going to trust in his provision 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we pointed out last week so many times when believers come, it's an empty promise. We're making an incredible promise that Christ is our life. And then we go out the rest of the week acting as if Christ is really not needed to live out our Monday through Saturday our Saturday work. And so our main application last week was to allow your barrenness to lead you to faith in Christ's provision and not give up. Now this week's application is actually pretty simple. It comes from the last sentence of verse one. It is that faith believes in more abundance than is reasonable to expect. Isaiah 54, one goes on to say, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. On Paul's application of this verse, he treats the children as metaphors of anything that we do in kingdom life. And there are two things that I want you to notice about what faith ushers us into. First of all, I've already mentioned it, it ushers us into more. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. And I love that expression that's repeated in the Bible. More than. More than. God's grace enables us to do more than the flesh can do. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Uh, the reversal of the fall is much more than just a reversal. 
Uh, everything that Adam lost, yes, is going to be restored by Christ, but then much more that he provides. And even in terms of church growth, Isaiah in the next verses is going to go on and talk about the church eventually outnumbering unbelievers, eventually inheriting the nations. And Paul, too, applies it to the church, church growth. So the much more is the first application. We should be willing to believe that God's grace will achieve in us much more than we can do in our own strength. Do we really believe that? The second application is that we should believe that much more theology before we see the much more. Even while we're desolate, even while we are barren, a new believer may be incredibly discouraged with all of the messed up life he's created and his sin is created, but faith in that new believer is going to believe the scripture promise that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And by the way, I, I mentioned the next verses in Isaiah apply this to eschatology, to the future of the church. There is much more than most people really expect. Uh, we need to have an eschatology of faith. The first century church was composed of 120 disciples in the upper room, and it took faith for them to believe that they really were going to be able to impact every nation of the world. Uh, they had faith to believe it despite not seeing it in the newspaper. Has the church grown much more than it was back then? Absolutely yes. But I am convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt that the scriptural promises say we must expect much more than planet Earth has experienced to this point. Now the Great Commission is really an audacious commission when you think about it. It takes faith to believe that Christ has all authority in heaven and on Earth. Yes, even authority over governments and authority over business, all authority. And it takes faith to believe that all nations will become Christian nations, disciples of Christ. But faith does not look at what is possible in our own flesh. It believes because it is focused on the God of impossibilities. It takes faith to believe that one day every nation will obey every commandment that Christ has commanded in every sphere of that nation's life. I mean, that's really the goal of the Great Commission. That's what the Great Commission is about, is producing Christian nations, Christian civilization. It takes faith to believe that an invisible Christ is sufficient to accomplish that audacious commission, okay? He does not have to come back physically. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 guarantees that he will not come back physically until every enemy is conquered, every, all things are put under his feet and the last enemy being as he's coming back, death will be conquered, that's the last. But every other enemy prior to that will be conquered. And let me tell you, some people say, I just can't believe that, that's impossible to believe. Well, I say, well, that's what faith is all about. It laughs the laugh of faith, it laughs at impossibilities. If Jesus said that he is powerfully with us even to the end of the age, we believe it and that settles it. We go forth in his power. So when Paul applies this phrase to the church, he is claiming an audacious much more. God has ordained that eventually there will be more children of the heavenly Zion than in the kingdom of Satan. True believers will outnumber unbelievers. Now you might think, that just seems too ridiculous. But everything about this verse is ridiculous if you do not approach it in faith. 
Lord willing, next time we're gonna look at verse two where God gives an audacious command to extend the tent pegs, add room and flaps for the tent even before we see the children conceived. We need to take the steps of faith before it makes sense to take those steps if we're to please God. But for today, I would just challenge you to look at your own doubts and your own impossibilities and resolve to imitate Abraham's faith, not Abraham's doubts. Though we can't do it in our own strength, we can rejoice that we can do it through Christ. We can laugh Abraham's faith, uh, laugh of faith knowing that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for this sacrament. As we come to it, it gives us a confidence that Christ is our life and that uh, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And I pray, Father, that as each one comes uh, this morning to partake of this, that they would partake in real faith that you are sufficient to supply all of our needs in Christ Jesus, that you've already blessed us with everything that we need to accomplish your impossible commands. And I pray that we would cast aside any doubt at those impossible commands and approach them through Christ who lives within us. Yes, we acknowledge that without Christ we can do nothing, but we also acknowledge with Paul that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I pray that you would bless and set aside these common elements to a holy use that you would be glorified in our partaking. Jesus' name.